Good morning. morning. Greetings from everyone in Spain. Well, not everyone in Spain. I don't know everyone in Spain personally. (laughs) That'd be 41 million. But at least from the people in the church in Seville, the Bethel Assembly, and they asked me to be sure and tell you all thank you for your prayers and your fellowship. And so we'll meet one day, all of us together, in heaven. Until then, I'm the messenger, bringing greetings and taking greetings. It's good to be here again, and thank you for all your prayers. And let's turn now to the Word of God. We're going to be reading a verse in 1 Timothy today, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I hope you brought your Bible, because at San Ramon Valley Bible Church, we always bring our Bibles. We don't have any personality cult here. We don't have any uh, special entertainment program. The main thing is the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're about. And I say we because I've been adopted and this is my home away from home. First Timothy chapter 1. Verse 12, we're going to read down to verse 16, and then we're going to take one of those verses and think about it this morning. First Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 12, the word of the Lord says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy because that I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Let's read again verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together today, this assembly of Christians meeting together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are thankful for the presence of the Lord Jesus with us, who has promised that where two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there in the midst. Help us to appreciate and to discern his presence with us this morning. And as we look into the word of God now, we are aware, painfully aware of our need of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take this book and to open it to us, to open our minds, to illuminate us, to teach us, to touch our lives. And we ask that you do that because we don't want to have just a meeting. We want to meet with you, Lord. And so we say to you, like those two disciples on the Emmaus Road said that evening, Lord, stay with us. And so we count on your presence and we commend our meeting into your hands, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. How do you know who to listen to 
And how do you know who to believe? That's a problem we face at all levels of life. Whether it's a repair on your car or something you're buying from someone you never saw on the internet. Could be any kind of a promise. Anything that's been told to you, anything that's been said, even vows, wedding vows. How do you know if a year from now those will stand strong? How do you know if those will be honored? How do you know who to believe? A business contract. A peace treaty. They say they're worth the ink and the paper that they're on. And that's all. People's word doesn't mean much anymore. How do children know what to believe? We tell them stories. When they're little, we tell them stories about the Easter bunny because we think that's funny and cute. And we could never figure out how the Easter bunny laid eggs of chocolate. And I always liked the Easter Bunny better than chickens anyway because their, their eggs were chocolate and the chickens' eggs were just, I didn't care too much for them. But then you come to a day in life where you find out that uh, your parents were just teasing you about that. They were just having a little fun, you know, like about the, the tooth fairy. That there wasn't any fairy that came and uh, took your tooth from under your pillow and, and left you some money there. But that was mom and dad who did that. And then they told us a story about Santa Claus. Until one night we stayed up, we hid in the closet and stayed up and peeked out to see. And lo and behold, it was our own mom and dad who were doing that. We thought it was. Our friends at school told us. But then we had to find out for ourselves. And then they told us about Jesus. I never saw the Easter Bunny. And I learned not to believe in him. I never saw the tooth fairy, and I learned not to believe in him. I never saw Santa Claus, and I learned not to believe in him. And the same people that brought me all of those things also told me about Jesus. I never saw him. So why should I believe them? How do you know what to believe? And people on the other side of the world? Oh, well, they believe the writings of Buddha. How do we know that that's not right? How do we know that that's not, for their culture, just as good as what we have in our culture? How do you know who to believe? There are so many ideas and so many philosophies. There are so many people saying and making promises about themselves and the goods that they market. How does a person know in the world today who or what to believe? Who do you really listen to with confidence? The Apostle Paul answers that question in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That's a faithful saying. The words that are before us today are not in the category of any words spoken by any human anywhere on the face of the earth. These words are different. This is a faithful saying. This is worth more than the paper and the ink that's on the paper. This is a faithful saying. And when God tells us that in this verse, and you might as well know that before the end of the meeting today, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment 
that you either trust this faithful saying and the person that it's talking about, or else you're going to tell God today that you don't believe him and that you don't trust him. No middle ground. This is a faithful saying, and you have to decide today on which side you're going to stand. This faithful saying, we know in the book of Matthew, for example, let's go back there, and I'm going to take you through a few verses to remind you about the faithfulness of God's word. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Matthew 24, 35. If you have one of those Bibles where they have the words of Christ in red, I don't really like those. If you like it, that's okay. We're not going to fight about it. We're not quarreling. I don't like them, but I'll tell you why I don't like them. Because they seem to try to put those words to say those are the only ones you can trust. They're on a higher plane. Those are the most trustworthy. But the scripture says every word of the Lord is pure. Not just the words in red. Every word in this book is inspired by God. But now, coming back to the point. If you have one of those Bibles, you'll notice these words are in red. And what does that mean? That means that the Lord Jesus himself said them. What did he say? Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things shall be fulfilled. That's verse 34. And then verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Someone told me that they they have designed an email now that's, uh, what do they call it, self-erasing or self-eliminating. There's some form of email that you can send and you can put uh, a time or a date on it and it'll just, wherever it goes, it'll just automatically erase itself when that time comes. The Lord Jesus says there's no erasing his words. You can't say like you do when you go to the store and you and you buy something and uh, the ladies are generally better shoppers than men. A lot of times they'll pick up the product and they'll turn it over and they'll look, particularly if it's, uh, or on the lid, if it's something perishable like yogurt, for example, or milk. And what are they looking for as they're turning the package around? Ah, the expiration date. And in our neighborhood, there used to be a lady that would go to the trash containers by the grocery stores, and when they would dump out all the stuff that was past the expiration date, she was out there with a grocery cart putting it all in the cart and taking it. She said it was completely fine. Well, she didn't die from anything she ate, so maybe she was right. But there are things in this world that have expiration dates on them. And there are a lot of people in the Western world today who were brought up in a Christian culture, in a Christian heritage, who maybe had a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather, someone in their family who was a believer, who read the Bible, who believed in the Lord, who prayed and who told them about God. But they've said about those people, that was for them. That was for their generation. They were old-fashioned. That was what people believed back then. But now we're modern. Now we have Wi-Fi. Now we have sound bites. Now we uh, gaze through the, the X-ray telescopes at all the depths of the universe. And we don't need these little things anymore. These props, these crutches to lean on and to stand on. That's all expired. The Lord Jesus said, my words will never pass away. 
And so when we're talking about the person of Christ, when we're talking about the work of Christ, and especially when we're talking about the words of Christ, we're talking about things that will never pass away. No expiration date. They're completely faithful. They are worthy. The words that are before us this morning are worthy of your trust. The Lord Jesus himself promises you that his words will not pass away. And that means, hear me now, that means that one day, if those words are not going to pass away, one day you're going to face his words again. It's better to be on the right side of them now than to wait too late. In John 17 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus in his prayer, John 17 This is really the Lord's Prayer, you know. People say uh, that Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer, but they're wrong. Matthew 6 is the disciples' prayer, where he taught the disciples how to pray. When you pray, he said, and he began to explain to them how to pray. But the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that the Lord prayed, his high priestly prayer, his intercessory prayer for us, for his disciples, is here in John chapter 17. And one of the things he says to the Father in his prayer in verse 17 is, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Notice that he didn't say, Thy word contains truth. You with me? There's a difference between containing truth and being truth. He says, Thy word is truth. And so if it is truth, and if it doesn't have any expiration date on it, then it's something that we can rely on. Then it is faithful. It's not like the promises that people make. Even such faithful uh, or such sacred promises as marriage vows. And they swear and they vow in the presence of God and and of, of Christians what they're going to do. And more than once, Someone has had to come along and say, did you forget your vows? Did you forget what you said that day in front of God and witnesses? Did you forget? You made a vow. And in the scripture, in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 30, it says, every vow that is made to the Lord will be kept. It's better not to vow than to make a vow and to break it. But this is what happens. This is the sad case of the human race. This is the way things are. But I'm happy to tell you today that things are not that way with God. The word of God is completely faithful. God remembers his promises. God remembers his word. And he never says anything just to make conversation. He knows everything that he has said. He remembers it and he will fulfill. He will stand by everything that he has said in his word. And so when Paul says to us here, this is a faithful saying, that's the first thing I think of. Paul knew it was a faithful saying. The Lord Jesus gives authority and credibility to God's word by saying, first in Matthew and then in John, how the word of God is eternal and how it is truth. It doesn't contain truth. It is truth. But there's one more verse we want to think about. And that's in Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Maybe the most important of these three. Titus chapter 1. 
Verses 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. So this is why God's sayings are faithful. You don't want to miss this. This is why God's sayings are faithful. Because everything he says is true and because he cannot lie. He cannot lie. God doesn't lie. He doesn't deceive us. He doesn't make mistakes. People can do it. People can deceive you. And even sincere people who want to help you can give mistaken advice. They can with all of their heart tell you, advise you to do something and they can be wrong. Because there might be factors that they, don't, uh, they aren't aware of. Things that they overlook. Things that they have forgotten. Things that they don't know how to calculate. And so people can be wrong. But God never. And that's why we say, when we come here, we want to bring the Bible. And I hope you always will. And I hope you'll always have it open. And I hope you will always check everything I say or anyone else says by what this book says. Because the only person who never makes a mistake whose word is always faithful, is God. And this is a faithful saying. God who cannot lie said it. And so, now we're going to come to that sensitive part. It offends God if you don't believe his word. See, he will let you decide, but it offends him If you don't believe. Because God wants more than anything else. To be believed and trusted. Because he always tells the truth. His word is truth. Because it endures forever. It has no expiration date. And because God cannot lie. Our our Lord we know. The scripture teaches us. Is omniscient. He knows everything. There are no factors. That he has not taken into account. He sees the future and the past. There's nothing yet to be known by him that he did not take into consideration. And so when we talk about God and we talk about the word of God, we've got to take that right away in our judgment, in our reasoning. We have to take that right out of the category of the words of men. Because God's word is not like man's word. And this is a faithful saying. And worthy to be accepted. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. This is a faithful saying. It's safe to believe. I want you to remember that this morning. It's safe to believe this verse and what we're talking about today. It's safe. You can't go wrong. It's a faithful saying. And because of that. He goes right on to the the very next phrase, and this is our second point. The very next phrase says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance. Worthy of all acceptation, the King James says. Worthy to be accepted. You see, it's not enough just to say, well, that's right, okay. You showed me in Matthew and in Titus and over in John. That's right, and God can't lie. Okay, I agree with that, and so God's word is faithful, okay. We agree intellectually on that point. And I'm not happy. Because that ain't enough. It's not enough to agree intellectually that it's true. He says, 
This is a faithful saying, and, and what is and? Who's some of our grammar uh, experts here today? What do we call that little word, and? Uh, a what? Which means? Ah, this is a well-taught group. You see, it's not enough just to say, God's word is true. Okay, I, I, like a man told me one time, we were talking about physical exercise and he needed it. He needed to eat less and exercise more and we talked and we discussed advantages. That was my major in college and it helped in PE. So I was trying to convince him in about diet and exercise and all this and he just looked at me. When I finished my whole presentation, he said, I'm not against it in principle. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm not against it in principle. He said, but... I just can't do it. It's just too much work. You see, this is the way a lot of us are, and some of you here this morning, this is the way you are. You didn't come here today because you hate God and you hate the Bible. I don't think there's anyone like that here today. But I cannot say for sure that everyone here today trusts God completely and believes his word above all else. I can't say that, and I don't know if you can say it. God's word is true. God's word is eternal. God cannot lie. God knows everything. So what kind of fools are we that we believe anything else before we believe God? Anything and everything that people say on the television screen, on the radio, on the billboards, on the internet, in papers, we believe anything that people say. Why don't we believe what God says? This is a faithful saying, and worthy to be accepted. It's not enough just to listen politely. I'm glad people listen politely. It's hard to preach when people throw things. And uh, I've been in that, and a man that I was preaching with on the street one time in Spain, and we were on a, on a kind of a narrow street that had a little bitty plaza, maybe about as big as this platform, And he backed up beside one of the houses to speak to the people who were in the plaza. And as he was speaking, a lady came out on the balcony on the second floor. She'd been mopping the floors in her house. And in that part of the world, a lot of times when they're done with the mop water, they just throw it out on the street. And she looked down over the balcony and she saw my friend standing there talking to the people like that. And she took her bucket of water and went. And he got a bucket full of mop water on him. Kind of hard to remember what the point was you were that you were presenting when that happens. So I'm glad people listen politely, but I want to tell you something this morning. You're not going to get anywhere with God by listening politely to His Word. God wants you to do more than listen politely to His Word. God doesn't want you to listen to His Word as a favor to your friend, and He doesn't want you to listen to His Word as a favor to your mother or your father or to make somebody in your family happy. God doesn't want you to listen to his word simply to fit in with the group because that's what the other people are doing and you got a lot of nice friends you want to hang with here. God doesn't want you to do it for that reason. God wants you to listen to his word and to accept it. To accept it because it's true. It has no expiration date. And God can't lie. He can't deceive you. So you believe him before you believe your friends. You believe him before you believe anyone else on this earth. 
we ask people in Spain sometimes, would you take, if, you, if uh, God's word, if the scripture said one thing and the Pope said another, who would you believe first? They don't like that question in Spain. Spain is 98% Catholic. They don't like that question. And of course, uh, most Catholics have never read the Bible. We don't have any problem with Catholics. We love them. We have a problem with the system that maintains them in darkness and ignorance about the things of God. And that causes them to elevate man's word and to fear men and what men think more than what God says and what God thinks. So we asked them, would you believe the Pope or would you believe the scriptures? Would you believe, let's bring it closer to home, would you believe the bishop? Would you believe the the priest in your parish? Or would you believe the scriptures? And they say, well, give me an example. Oh, when they do that. That's what I was hoping for. (laughs) Give you an example. Well, in 1 Timothy 3, for example, the scripture says, the bishop must be husband of one wife. So, let's see. Now, the bishop here in our city, is he married? Who's his wife? Oh, the bishop's wife? So, but that's what the scripture says. It says he must be the husband of one wife. So now what do we do? And the church says that Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, continues that he is constantly presented in an attitude of oblation. His sacrifice is continuously presented in the Mass. That's what they say. That's what the Catechism says. This is dogma. You, you don't have, you say, well, but my friend's a Catholic, or maybe you are. And I don't believe that. Let me tell you something. You don't have the right to call yourself a Catholic and not believe what the Catholic Church teaches. To be a good Catholic, to be a good Catholic, and to be in the grace of the Church, you must accept unconditionally all dogma. Now, you don't have to agree with the ecclesiastical laws, but that's a different thing. Ecclesiastical law is... Uh, governs the thing where the priest, when he says Mass, does he face the people or does he face the altar? Does he say the Mass in English or Spanish or does he say the Mass in Latin? Well, see, those things are ecclesiastical law. You say, oh, but the church has changed a lot. You know, now I heard last week someone said they were going to let, accept married priests now. The church hasn't changed. That's ecclesiastical law. All of those little things can be changed just by a wave of the hand. Dogma does not change. And the dogma of the church, the dogma is that Jesus is continuously sacrificed. This is dogma. So if you want to be a Catholic, and if your friend who doesn't believe that, you say, well, I have a friend or a neighbor who's Catholic or a relative, and they don't believe that, well, they're not a good Catholic. They're not a good Catholic. And your friend and your neighbor do not define what Roman Catholicism is. Who defines it is the church. And this is what the church has said. Ask me. I have the universal catechism in Spanish and in English. So, where does this leave us? Would you believe God's word or man's word? God wants to be trusted. 
God wants to be trusted. So many people believe man's word. If the man wears a long robe, if the man presents himself in a clerical way, or if the man speaks with a lot of letters behind his name, he has his PH who knows what, and uh, he convinces people by all of his finery and all of his degrees, and he can fill the wall here with all the places, the diplomas from all the places where he studied. And so what, does that make his word right? There's only one person who cannot lie, only one person who cannot make a mistake, only one person whose word never expires, and that person is God. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. And God wants you to believe Him this morning. God wants you to accept His Word. Not just to say intellectually, okay, I concede the point. God wants you to accept it. And to accept it, you have to open the door of your heart and let it in. That's your job. To receive it. To accept it as true. To give it a place in your heart, in your thoughts. Worthy of all acceptation. Israel had a big problem with this in the Old Testament. When the Lord sent the prophet Ezekiel to the nation of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says, I'm sending you to a stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. Now, the Calvinists don't like this because Israel was the elect nation, you see. They were sovereignly chosen by God, and yet they were stiff-necked and hard-hearted, and most of them were unbelievers. So I don't know what unconditional election did for them in terms of salvation. Not much. Stiff-necked and hard-hearted people. And in the New Testament, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he stands before Israel hundreds of years later, centuries later, and he says to the leaders of the nation of Israel, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. That's not good Calvinism. You always resist the Holy Spirit? But never mind about all of them. And never mind about the theological debates. My problem is not with any of that this morning. My problem is that there are some people here in this room who resist. God's problem with you and your problem with Him is your resistance to His Word. Even when you know intellectually that it's true, but you don't let it in. You keep it out. You don't accept it. You don't open the doors of your heart to it. You don't receive it. He said in uh, chapter 33 of Ezekiel, the people come before you as the people come and they sit before you and they will hear your voice. They will hear your words, he said, but they will not do them. He said, for you are unto them as one who can sing well or play an instrument. They hear your voice, but they will not do it. He said, but when that thing that has been prophesied comes upon them and it will come, they will know that a prophet has been among them. One of God's spokesmen. They'll know it. Because what God says comes true. And God warned the nation of Israel. 
He warned the people who were in Jerusalem that they were going into captivity. And he warned the ones who were in captivity through Ezekiel, those who were already there, who were thinking they were going home soon. He said, make yourself a house and settle down because you're not going home. Don't listen to the false prophets. And there's a lot of those around today. People, we call them Mr. Smiley. Mr. Smiley, Mr. Public Relations, who know how to tell everybody in a friendly way exactly what and know how to make them feel good. The consumer-oriented church. What do people want? The felt need survey. Go out in the community and ask people what they feel they need in the church. And brother, I'm telling you, they'll give it to them. That's good marketing. Uh, That is rotten Christianity. God knows what you need. God doesn't have to ask you what you need. He knows what you need. You need to be saved. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need a new life. You need to be cleansed from the inside out. God knows it. And so God does kind of like Henry Ford, you know, when he began the mass production of the Ford. And uh, they told him that other companies were starting up and were going to give out uh, models of their cars in different colors. And they said, you need to have a red car or a white car because all the old Fords were black. He said, we need to have um, get some models off the production line with color now. And he said, oh, they can have whatever color they want as long as it's black. (laughs) It wasn't going to change. Well, but in a certain way, although we laugh at that quaint and in a marketing sense, maybe lack of foresight, but God knows what you need. God's not building a consumer-oriented church. God cares about you. He knows what you really need, and he cares about your real needs. He cares about who you are and where you are right now and where you're going to be in the future. And he is the best one in whose hands to place your life. But he's not going to spoil you. He's not going to give you what you want. He's not going to cave into your capricious desires and your whiny uh, petitions. He's going to give you, like a good father, what you need. He does that. Israel wouldn't listen. And so they went into exile. And the ones who were in exile stayed there. And the false prophets were all wrong. And there were a lot of them. And they were all wrong. So you go ahead and believe people who make you feel good. You go ahead and believe people who tell you what you want to know. But hear me. There's coming a day when you'll be sorry. Because their words are not faithful. And they are not worthy of acceptance. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 that those people who do not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved will be lost forever. Don't believe the stuff you heard in the Left Behind series about people and after the church is gone, miraculously taken to heaven, and then here are these people who were in a church, and one of them was a preacher, I believe, and uh, he wasn't really a Christian. He wasn't really a believer. And then he gets down on his knees in front of the pulpit or the altar in, uh, in the ruined world after the rapture, and there he is praying, and he gets saved. You can forget that. You can forget that. Let's go back to it. Now, I don't want you to take my word for it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Second Thessalonians chapter two. Verse 8, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved for this cause. God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. Now, I'm giving it to you straight. And I don't care whether you like me or not. I have to give it to you straight. This is what God's word says. Your opportunity to believe the truth is now. And once these events take place, the rapture takes place, and the church is gone, and we say, like we say in Spanish, ves las orejas al lobo. You see the wolf's ears. You see the wolf coming. You see the trouble. Once you see it coming, it's too late. It'll be too late. You're not going to be able to say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I I wanted to believe. I'm sorry I didn't believe before. You're not going to say that. You're going to say, the beast Who is like unto the beast? And you're going to worship him. Just like everyone else. Who did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved today. God in his kindness and his mercy is offering you the truth. That you should believe it and be saved. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptance. You remember that. Today I offered it to you. Today you have an opportunity to accept it. Worthy of all acceptance, he says. And when he says worthy of all acceptance, really this brings us to our third point, and that is that that word all really means worthy to be accepted by everyone. It means everyone should accept it. Because then there are these people, you see, who say this. They say, well, the Bible, I had a man tell me in Belize one time. I was on a ministry trip there, and fellow came up to us and um, began to try to solicit funds from us, and I told him what he really needed, and I began to preach the gospel to him. And he listened for about a minute, and then he finally said to me, you just get out of here with that white man's religion. I said, let me remind you of something. Jesus was not a Caucasian. He was a Jew. That's from those are descendants of Shem, the Semitic peoples, the Middle Eastern people. See, where you get this idea that that some race or some ethnic group has a corner on Christianity? The Scripture says all should believe, worthy to be accepted by all, for God so loved the world. Not a race, not a country, not a nation. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at the outside, the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. And when God looks at a heart, he sees everyone's heart the same for all have sinned. And God has an offer to present this morning to everyone. And he presents it to people in North America. And he presents it to people in China. 
He presents it to people in the Middle East, and he presents it to people in Australia. He presents it to people in Europe, and he presents it to people in Africa. He presents it to people everywhere, because it's worthy to be accepted by all. Because God, the Creator, not God, the President of some country, God, the Creator, has given His Word, and He says it's worthy to be accepted by all. Here in this same chapter in 1 Timothy, he says in chapter, excuse me, chapter 2, the next chapter, he says in verse 4, God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. It's not the Pope and it's not Mary. One God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for what? He gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, he says. Second Peter 3, 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. Now, I don't know what kind of theological persuasion you are of this morning. But I'll tell you this. If your view of God is that he has some kind of a deterministic thing where he, uh, all of these were reprobate and doomed and couldn't believe and these were elect and they were given the ability to believe. If you believe that, you don't understand what the scripture is saying. God is not willing that any should perish. Read my lips. Better yet, read the word. Who will have, that means his will. What is his will? Who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So this is a faithful saying and worthy to be accepted by all. And that includes you. You're going to find out why. See, we can't accept it corporately. We can't say, okay, stand up and we're all going to have a prayer together and we're all going to be believers. You don't accept the Lord that way. You don't get married that way. Bis a bis. We say in Spanish, de tu a tu. Face to face. Personal. A person comes to faith in Christ. A person comes to believe the gospel and to place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't, you don't do that as a community effort. It's a personal decision that must be taken. And this morning, you need to make that personal decision. You can't get to heaven on the coattails of your mother and your father. You can't get to heaven on the coattails of this church. You can't get to heaven on anybody's coattails. You can't get to heaven by associating with Christian friends. The only way you can get to heaven is by doing what the Lord says here in this verse. You have to accept it. It's worthy to be, it's a faithful saying, worthy to be accepted by all. This is what God says. So... Step out of the anonymity of everyone and say, I accept what God's word says. I accept it personally. This is what the Lord wants to hear from us. Worthy of acceptance by everyone. So have you done that? Can you point to a time in your life? Where you definitely and personally accepted the message of the scripture concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul says this. 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance or acceptance by all that. What do we have to accept? What is the faithful saying? What are the words that are trustworthy that we should believe? And what should we accept? He says that Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world. And right away when he says it that way, if you know anything about people who are of the Gnostic or the New Age persuasion, you know that uh, they believe, they teach, that Jesus was just a man. They call it the, the, the Christ spirit. It's kind of a cosmic thing, you see. And that Jesus was just a man, like they say, Buddha was just a man and others. And they say, the spirit, the Christ spirit descended in this time in history on Jesus And Jesus became the Christ because the Christ spirit descended on him. This is the way they weave their little story and begin to tell it. Do you think the almighty and all-knowing God who I already told you never makes a mistake, whose word is truth, who knows everything from beginning to end? you think he didn't know they were going to say that? What does he say here? He didn't say what the Gnostics say. The Gnostics say when John baptized Jesus and he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descended on him as a dove, he said at that point he became the Christ. That's what they say. And before he died, they say the Christ Spirit went off of him. So when he died, he was just a man again. That's what they say. What does this say? This says that Christ Jesus came into the world. Christ Jesus. And in another place we read, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You see what I'm telling you? Don't listen to what people say. I don't care how flowered their theories are and how many old dusty books they have and masters from previous centuries they try to quote to you to impress you. You come back to the book or you're going to be lost. And the book says, Christ Jesus came into the world. I like that. That's a language of a traveler, isn't it? A language of a traveler. But he's not an alien. not a predator. He's not an extraterrestrial. Not in the sense that Hollywood interprets the word anyway. He's the word made flesh. The word was made flesh And dwelled among us, John the Apostle says in John's Gospel. And we beheld his glory. He said, how do I know it? Because I saw him. How do we know it? He says. He and the other apostles, the other believers of that time, he says, we saw him. We beheld his glory. In the the first epistle of John, he says, we saw him, we heard him. He says, our hands have handled him, the word of life. We've touched him. We ate with him. We traveled with him. We know him. We know what we're telling you. And this is a faithful saying. Christ Jesus came into the world. In John 8.23 he says to the Jews and many of them unbelievers he says, You are from below. I am from above. I am not of this world, he says, but you are of this world. What were they supposed to understand by that? He's not from here. 
that he came into the world. He came from heaven. He took upon himself humanity without losing divinity. He never became just a man. He added humanity to divinity. He wasn't half God and half man. He was fully God and fully man. Although a perfect humanity, not a fallen humanity, a perfect humanity incapable of sinning. And that perfect man, God made man, came into the world, he says, and he had a reason why he came. Christ Jesus came into the world to tell us that God is peace and love. He came into the world to heal the sick, and to give sight to the blind, to make the lame walk. He came in the world to give the greatest of all human philosophies. Some of these people out here are looking at me with jaundiced eye right now. And if you know me, you know I'm teasing you. This is what people say. People don't know why he came into the world. All these people that just finished celebrating Christmas. They don't care where the Jesus came into the world at all. All it is to them is an excuse to have presents and, and to get out of school and to go on vacations. What do they care why Christ came into the world? As far as they're concerned, most of these people, it could have been Buddha's birthday. It could have been Muhammad's birthday. It could be anything, any reason, because they don't really care. It's not the substance. It's the moment. What I live for and what I enjoy, that's what matters. But the scripture says that he came, and he came for a reason. And the reason was not to start a a consumer's holiday. The reason was not to give a boost to North American and Western Hemisphere business at this time of the year. That's not why Jesus came into the world. It says he came to save. To save. Not the manger. In Spain they do this. They have the... They, they talk about the niño, el niño, the baby, the baby Jesus, but they call him el, el niño. And so the, the monks all have him, I mean the nuns all have him in the, in the manger. And the little doll or idol of Jesus and they bring it to the schools and they put it in the schools and they have all the children line up and come up and kiss the niño. Hay que besar el niño. You got to give baby Jesus a kiss. See, that's what they tell him to do. El niño, el niño, el niño. The baby, the baby, the baby. He's not a baby anymore. You see, that's where they keep him. They don't let him out of that manger. They don't let him out of that cradle. That's where they want him. You stay in your cradle and we'll give you your kiss and we'll run our lives. And we'll do what we want to. He came into the world not to stay in the manger. But after the manger comes the cross. And after the cross comes the empty tomb. And the word of God says that he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where he is. He's not in a manger. And if the Jesus you believe in is a Jesus still in the manger or a Jesus still on the cross, you don't believe like you ought to because he's not there anymore. He was in those places. But what did the angel say to the disciples? He is not here, for he is risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not there anymore. 
He came into the world to save. And in order to save, he had to go to the cross because the people he wanted to save were? What does he say here? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It was his mission. He had a mission. It was a very well-defined mission. He knew what he was supposed to do. He came into the world to save sinners. This is what he came to do. It's a rescue mission. He didn't come into the world to spread peace and joy and love and heal the sick and to tell us that God loves us all. Well, does God love us all? Of course he does. You're missing the point. He didn't come just to tell us a message of personal warmth and fuzziness and encouragement about how God is loved. He came to do a job. And that job included taking the punishment for our sins, dying on the cross for us. He didn't come to be admired in a manger. He came to go to the cross. And there on the cross, he died for us. The old hymn says, Up Calvary's mountain, one dreadful morn, walked Christ my Savior, weary and worn, facing for sinners death on the cross, that he might save them from endless loss. Blessed Redeemer, Precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. That was his mission. Father, forgive them, thus did he pray, even while his life blood flowed fast away, praying for sinners while in such woe. No one but Jesus ever loved so. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Oh, how I love him, Savior and friend. How can my praises ever find end? Through years unnumbered on heaven's shore, my tongue shall praise him. Forevermore, blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding, for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he did that, not in the manger. He did it on the cross. God's word tells us that we're all sinners. But you can't hide in the all and tell God that, well, nobody's perfect. What are you, trying to give God an education? Nobody's perfect. You think he doesn't know that? God is not concerned with the general imperfection of humanity. God is concerned about your personal sinfulness. Your personal sinfulness and your personal sins. And that is what will keep you out of heaven. Christ Jesus came to save you. He came into this world to save sinners. He died on the cross suffering the punishment for our sins. We did the sinning and he did the suffering and the dying. Seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding for me, for me. You ever seen him that way? 
wounded and bleeding for me. The Apostle Paul had it very clear, didn't he? You didn't have to tell him. You didn't have to argue with him. Even though he had been the most righteous of all the Pharisees. Even though he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Man, he could strut his religious righteousness more than anyone. But he says, whatever was gained for me, I counted lost for Christ. He realized that as long as he clung to his religion and as long as he clung to his righteousness, to his good works, or that he was better than somebody else on the scale, he couldn't be forgiven by God. When are you going to learn it? When are you going to learn it? Christ Jesus knows you are a sinner. He came into the world to save you. So stop kidding yourself, man. Woman, stop kidding yourself. He came to save you. He already knows your problem. And he wants to help you. And he's done everything he can to help you. But this is the problem. Although he did the work which is faithful, although he gave the promise which is safe and secure and must be believed, it all depends on what you do with it. The Apostle Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Mm. He said it with conviction. A religious man, a righteous man. And some of you are not very religious or righteous. Some of you have a secret life, a hidden life. A life that other people would be shocked to know about, maybe. Mm. The Lord Jesus didn't come to save his friends and to save nice people. He came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. The scripture says that's what we all are. That's what we all are. But this is what he comes to. And this is what the Apostle Paul came to. This is what we have to come to. And I know you've heard me say it before. And you're going to hear me say it again. Teach me that I am the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. Did the Apostle Paul know that? Did he know it? He said, I'm the first. I'm at the top of the list. In the top 40 or the top 25 or the top 10, I'm number one. I'm the worst sinner. And brother, sister, I'll tell you this. Friend visiting here today, I'll tell you this. When you come to understand the clear and simple message of the gospel, the way God gives it to us in His Word, you're not going to be looking at anybody else that ever did anything wrong. All you're going to be able to think about are your own problems. And until you get there, you're lost. You're lost. Forget about what will this man do. Forget about what about the people in such and such a country. Or what about this or what about that. Forget all of this philosophy and theory and come to the hard, cold facts. All have sinned. That includes you. You are a sinner. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so you are going to face that death penalty, that punishment for sin. Never mind everybody else. You are a sinner. You must face that penalty. But Christ took it for you on the cross. And when he died, he died the death that you should have died. It's already been paid. And that's why he said finished from the cross. That's why he said it. But some of you won't let him finish it. Some of you won't accept that. 
you're still in the never-never land of whether or not you're going to believe it or not. But I told you, I warned you today, that I was going to give you a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, and I was going to tell you, you have to decide today, either you accept it or you don't. And if you don't, you be man or woman enough to say you don't. And don't give us this stuff about, I'm thinking about it, I'm praying about it. That's like if you're, you're somebody, your best friend or your mother or your brother or your wife or your husband comes to you and says, uh, I really love you. And you look at them and you say, I'm trying to believe you. Do what? Say what? You trying to believe me? But if it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, all you have to do is take it. He says in the Scriptures, he said, the Word of God is near you even in your mouth. He puts it in your mouth. All you have to do is go, swallow. That's all you got to do. It's near you even in your mouth. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul knew he was a sinner. He knew he was the chief of sinners. He said it with conviction. But this is what I want to know. I didn't ask you if you prayed a prayer one time. I asked you if you know you're the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. And if you want him to make you a new person today. He can do that. He wants to do that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. This is the saying that's worthy of all acceptance. And you have to accept that or reject it this morning. We know who came. We know why he came. We know for whom he came. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to be one of those who sits and politely listens to the message? You did it to please your friends. You did it to please your family. You did it because you were lonely today and you were driving by and you saw the sign. and You did it because you're looking for friends. What is it? This is a faithful saying from God. And I believe with all my heart that God brought you here today. And that he wants you to accept his faithful saying that Christ died for your sins. You're the sinner that Jesus died for on the cross. Precious Redeemer. Can you say those words in your heart now as we go to prayer? Precious Redeemer, blessed Redeemer, seems now I see him on Calvary's tree, wounded and bleeding for sinners pleading, blind and unheeding, dying for me. Make him yours and make yourself his today. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this time that we've had together. We thank you for the faithful saying that is worthy of all acceptance. And we do pray for those this morning in our midst who have that decision to make. Those of us who can thank you. We have accepted this faithful saying. We thank you for what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. We thank you that we're going to see him face to face one day. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of those who have not yet come to this step of faith, who have not yet trusted him, who haven't yet believed you and trusted you, that today would be that day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.